this fourth Sunday of Advent. That means there's no more Sundays until Christmas. In case you're wondering what that even means, that is what we are doing. Uh, so how are your kids doing with the waiting? How is everybody doing? Everybody's okay? Maybe it's not the kids, it's the grown-ups. Uh, school is officially on break, and all of, the, uh, all of those in school said, amen. Uh, the parents are maybe not as sure about that. Uh, and this is the week of Christmas. There are treats everywhere. Uh, presents maybe have started appearing under your tree. Has that happened at anybody else's house? It's a good storage place for them if you're not afraid of people shaking them and worried about it. And honestly, it's the best and worst thing for a kid. It's just the best. I just remember that feeling like you thought that Christmas would never come. Uh, Rob has a, a great story about, like, like have, you, have you ever snooped at your presents before Christmas? How many of you just confess? How many have snooped before? So I have, ne I have never. I don't like surprises being ruined. But Rob has this story. Rob, how old were you when you opened that present? I forgot. <laughs> he was stupid years old, he said. Um, so he, he, he tells a story about how uh, he really wanted this video game for Christmas, and then he, he thought his parents got it for him, so he snuck and, and found it and opened it and played it while they were out. And the intent being, of course, to wrap it back up and then put it back, and mom and dad would never know, except the, he hated the game. Like, it was awful. Like, he played it, and he's like, this is a terrible game. So then he had to wait till Christmas, this thing that he had asked for. His parents were all excited. You're going to get the game you wanted. So Christmas morning, he had to pretend he was happy about the thing he got. And you never snooped again, did you? No. That, that cured him of all snooping forever and ever. So why? <laughs> I'm sorry about that. It's a traumatic childhood memory. Why do we do that? Like, why is it we just simply can't wait any longer? You know what that feeling is. It seems like it's going to take forever. We just can't take it. And uh, so we've been looking at two periods of intense waiting and longing in this series that we've been working on since the first Sunday of Advent. And the first period of longing we actually call Advent, which is the season we're in now, where we, uh, we remember that the Israelites, uh, while they were waiting for the Messiah, were in this intense period of longing and waiting for many, 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 many years. They knew the Messiah was coming and they were waiting with anticipation. And so we are doing that same thing. We're taking our hearts back to that place with them, remembering what it was like to know that the Messiah was coming and be waiting for him. And the second period of intense waiting and longing that we are talking about is what we call the second coming. So we know that the Messiah did come. He came in the person of Jesus. And we know what he did. And so now, as believers, we are longing for the return of Christ so that he will take us with him forever and eternity. And he will come and make everything new. And the Greek word that is used in the New Testament for this is parousia. We're waiting and longing for the parousia, the second coming of Christ. I just don't want you to leave uh, any Sunday without a new word to share at the dinner table. So that was your word for today. The Israelites waited for the Messiah for thousands of years. And while we, today, in this second period of waiting, we remember that Jesus promised us 2,000 years ago that he would come again. So we understand something of this waiting now, don't we? Luke chapter 2 uh, records one of my favorite parts of the Christmas story. You know, I love the angels and the shepherds and the manger. Do you know what's interesting, though? I'm not, I don't have any other time to tell you this. I'm just going to say it right now. I'm, I'm sorry for the rabbit trail. I'm not sorry at all. But the, uh, 
Do you ever notice, like read through Luke 2, the account of the birth of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Just read it. It's very undramatic. Like it's not a lot of drama. We have created so much drama around there. Like Mary's on the donkey and she's like, oh, Joseph, I need a place. I need to, there's just nothing like that in scripture. I just wanted you to see that. Just, I was reading it again this week and just thought, we've made a lot of drama around this scene. Like she, they could have been there for a week. And then she's like, okay, time for baby to be born. And you're like, nobody knows. Anyway, that's not important now, but just read it like that this week and just see if I'm right or not. Uh, but a different part of the story. Those are all great parts of the story, of course. We love to act it out. We love to see it. We love to talk about it. We love to imagine what it would have been like to have been there. But let's read uh, a little later in the story, Luke chapter 2, verse, uh, starting at verse 22. So after Jesus is born, eight days later is when we're going to pick up the story. And I really, I really, really love this one. Let's read it together. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him, the consolation of Israel being the coming of the Messiah. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what, what, what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, she was very old and had lived with her husband seven years after marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God who spoke about the child and, and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. These two people, Simeon and Anna, I love this story. I love that Luke records it in his gospel account of the birth narrative. Because they waited and they watched and they hoped and they believed and they were given the most incredible gift of being able to see and touch and acknowledge the baby Jesus as the Messiah. And I find that whole scene extraordinarily moving. Especially when you, you hear Anna's, uh, that she, she had been married seven years and had been a widow for until she was now 84. What a life of longing and waiting. And their story is very much in keeping with our season of hope, that, that knowledge that we are secure in the future no matter what happens. Why? Again, and here's the theme this morning, we know we're secure in the future because when we see waiting, we know a God who is faithful. We see it all over this Christmas narrative. 
So what is this all about? Why is there so much waiting in the Bible? We talk about waiting a lot when we're in the scriptures. Why are we told to wait so often? Why do uh, answers to prayer or direction or help just sometimes seem to take so long? Why is it that when the world is in such a mess, Jesus not just come back and do the thing he said he would do? He's going to forever destroy the enemy. He's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to make everything new. Why are we waiting? Why doesn't he just do that? You ever wondered that? And some of this is a mystery, absolutely and for sure. Because why God does what he does when he does it is always going to be a mystery in some way because we are not him. And I can understand that to some extent, of course. Uh, uh, he, he's, he's beyond me. His ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And that's why I can trust him with my life. I know that. Some of that's always going to be a mystery because I'm not God. But scripture does have a few things to say about this waiting that show us some of God's heart in the waiting. So I want to show you a little bit of that together. Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter is a little letter that Peter wrote to the churches in Asia Minor. And I want you to hear what he says about this, uh, about what the Lord's waiting really means. We're going to start in verse 8, 2 Peter chapter 3. You can follow along. And if you haven't already, you can open your YouVersion Bible app uh, to more and then events. And you can, all of these scriptures are already loaded in there for you. You can follow along and take notes there or they'll be on the screen for you, of course. 2 Peter 3, starting at verse 8, he says this, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And so even right here, we pause here, we already begin to understand the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to come again. Unless you are using a finite view of slowness to determine that term. He's not delayed. He's not apathetic. He's actually being extraordinarily patient. He wants everyone to have the opportunity to meet him. They, he wants everyone to have the chance to turn from sin and to follow Christ. And so he waits. And he is on an eternal infinite timeline, not on our finite timeline at all. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. And so here Peter is referring back, we talked about it last week, we've been talking about it a bit, this, this idea of the day of the Lord. So uh, in case you weren't with us last week, the day of the Lord um, is a day that is coming where there will be perfect judgment and justice and new creation. And the Jews uh, referred to the day of the Lord. They had for many, many, many years. They understood that the day of the Lord was coming. And then after Jesus and the cross, so we call that Jesus' first coming, right? We, this is the birth narrative. After Jesus came and then he died on the cross and he rose again, uh, we now refer to, uh, instead of calling it the day of the Lord, we call it uh, the second coming or the eschaton or that new word I just taught you in the Greek, parousia. So these are two of, like Peter is using that old Jewish concept of the day of the Lord and saying uh, to his listeners, we understand the day of the Lord and we understand it differently now, now that Christ has lived and died and rose again. So what Peter and many of the other New Testament writers did was to identify that Old Testament picture of the day of the Lord with the belief about the second coming or parousia of Jesus Christ. 
So that's what he's doing here in verse 10, verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. The Lord's patience means salvation, he says. So in light of all of this waiting, in light, in light of all of it, and the truth of what we know is going to come, that we can be sure that he will come again because he has promised to do it and he is always faithful in his promises, this is how you should live, Peter says. He said, because we know these things, because these things are true, even though we don't know the timing of them, we can believe in them with all of our hearts, here is how we should walk forward in life to be holy, to be godly, to be looking forward, to be spotless, to be blameless, to be at peace with him, is what he says. And understand that God sees time with a perspective that we lack. The psalmist in Psalm 90 verse 4 said, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. And so Peter picks up on that psalm. And while the psalmist sees time as insignificant in comparison to how God sees time, that's sort of what the psalmist is saying, Peter actually sees it a little bit differently. If, if that concept is true, that to God a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day, Peter sees that there is a significance to time because it has value to God. Because time as it is now is being used for his purposes, his purposes so that um, everyone will be able to come and know him, that the Lord's patience means salvation, that people can draw near to him as he's patient. And so the delay of the day of the Lord, um, which has been grappled with, uh, when that's going to be and, and why it's taking so long, it's been grappled with since the time of the prophets, um, we, it only seems like a long time from our perspective is what scripture is telling us. But that, in fact, if you change your perspective, you can see that this long delay from our perspective is actually something that's being used by God to let people draw close to him, which is a pretty incredible thing. So I would say to you this morning, when you see waiting, God is faithful. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to the ones that you're praying for. And if, if that's true about the day of the Lord, what we've been reading, that that's, that's why he delays, that's, why, that's how he sees time, that's what he uses time for. How true, if that's true of the, of the big concept of the day of the Lord, how much more true is it on the waiting that what, of whatever you're doing, whatever you're waiting for right now? For that answer you're waiting for. For that salvation, for that family member, friend, coworker that you've been praying for. That waiting you're doing for provision in your life. Maybe a breakthrough in your life in some way. You've been waiting and waiting. God says he uses time. He uses time for his purposes. So this is the call to each one of us from Scripture. Even if you are waiting, don't ever give up your expectant waiting. And that's really this season of Advent reminds us of that so strongly. That's why we, we focus on it and land in it. Uh, scripture calls us to stay in the waiting because God is faithful. So stay in the waiting. It will be worth your time. 
Twice in 2 Peter, you might have caught it, twice in 2 Peter he says, since, since this is the case, since this is how God sees time, since this is what the waiting is for, let's dig in and make it count. He gives us action items to do while we are waiting for what we are waiting for, both the big and the little. Time isn't a curse. Time is to be seen as an opportunity. Every day we get is a gift of mercy. Like these are the concepts that we are being called to. Every day we have a chance to develop ourselves, to be of service to others, to be of service to God, to grow closer to him. And I will tell you that when you read these scriptures, it is a great relief when you can change your perspective to feeling like you're languishing in waiting, like the waiting you're doing is never going to end. Impatience, frustration. It allows you to, to, to step back and see from a new perspective that you can trust God in his working. And, and in the meantime, while you're trusting God to be working on what you're waiting for, he can be working on you in the waiting too. That's how he does it. He never wastes it. And so the key to this, this whole thing, this, this idea, is to keep your perspective always on the long game. Don't get so wrapped up in what's happening in the here and now that you lose your perspective on the long game. Church, we have to have a real and true hope for the second coming of Christ. We have to live with a deep conviction that we will see him face to face because it will affect everything else in our lives that we do. Because if we don't do this, we will struggle in our faith. If we don't understand that there is more to this life than what is presently pressing on us, we will struggle to what Pastor Aaron talked about a few weeks ago, to stay awake spiritually. We'll get, we'll get a dull, we'll get sort of numb or apathetic to the realities of, of what we need to be focusing on in Christ. We will resist the conviction <laughs> that we feel when we, start, we stop like, being able to see that one day we're going to see Jesus face to face. When we feel something in our spirit, the Holy Spirit saying, hey, that, don't, stay away from that. Stay away from, don't do that. Or, you know that thing you did or that thing you said or whatever, that didn't please me. You need to come and, and repent. Let's just, let's make it right. I want to forgive, but like, let's make it right. If you don't understand that one day you're going to see Jesus face to face and you deeply believe it, church, then what happens to you is that you start to resist that conviction. You start to try to sweep it under the rug. You say, ah, it's not a, it's not a big deal. These are the kinds of things that happen in our heart. We stay comfortable, as comfortable as possible in our relationship with Christ. And really, we, we really do will struggle, unless we have this perspective, to separate the messages of our culture from the messages of the truth of the word of God. They get sort of mingled into the middle and it's hard for us to know really what the Holy Spirit would say to us every day. And so what Peter is saying here to the churches in Asia Minor and what we're called to out of scripture today is that the expectation of the Lord's return was meant to and always should be inspiring Christians about how they should live today. When we think about the Lord's return, when we think about being able to see him face to face, it should be affecting our lives today. Uh, John said it in his first letter, 1 John 2, 28, he said, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. When you know that you're going to have to account for your life, when you, know, uh, when you know that, when you have a clear picture of that, and you keep that in front of you, it changes how you spend your days. 
It changes what thoughts you will allow into your mind. It changes how much you rely on the Holy Spirit for everything you need in your life. And also because of this hope that this is not all that there is, that this is not all that there is, you can be encouraged every single day, no matter what is going on in your life. And you can have perspective on those mysteries in your life that may never be resolved on this side of heaven, the things that you may never understand here in our, in our temporal and finite world. You can keep perspective on those things because when we know we are going somewhere, we know that we always have something to live for. Jesus said something about waiting too. I want to take you back to where we were last week in Matthew chapter 24. Turn with me there. These very unchristmassy like messages, but they are very Christmassy indeed when you think about the advent of Christ. In Matthew 24, Jesus starts to talk about waiting. He talks about what it means that he's, he's going to be coming back and what kind of, uh, what we should really be expecting and, to, and, to be, and what to do it, it, with all of this waiting and all of this unknown. Your Bible, if you're reading the NIV with me, probably has a, it starts uh, with a, a title that says, The Day and Hour Unknown. So let's start in verse 36 and see what Jesus said here about, about his own second coming, about this, his own parousia. Verse 36 says, But about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving, up, giving in marriage. Up to the day of Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with the handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had come, had known at what time the night of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And if you, like, if you were around in the church in the 80s, or if you were a fan of DC Talk in the 90s, are you singing, I wish we'd all been ready just right now? Two men walking up a hill, one disappears and one's left standing still. Sing with me. I wish we'd all been ready. Just me and Adam, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> if you're like, I don't understand this cultural reference, don't be free, just be free of it. You don't need it, you don't need it in your life. Jesus says here in, in Matthew 24, he says he is coming. And no matter how long we wait, we will see him. This is what he's saying. And the picture here is of a long time of waiting and then a sudden act of conclusion. That's what he's displaying. And this is his command. If that is true, and this is what he's, he's pointing out to us, here is Jesus' command in here. He says, watch. Watch for it. Watch here in the original language means it's, it's, not, it's not passive. It's not just like sitting there like you're sitting there watching me this morning. It's like watch means active, constant labor of service, being alert and being um, uh, vigilant in all that you do. That's what watching means here in the original language. So we don't prepare for Jesus' return by calculating the date and hour. 
That is a waste of time and foolishness because it says here, even the son did not know the date and hour of his own second coming. Only the father knew. So we need not spend any time trying to figure out the date and hour of Jesus' return. He says here himself, don't worry about it. That's not what you're supposed to be doing. He says, what I want you to do is to assume it's today or tomorrow and live in a state of constant readiness to see his face. To live with with watchfulness so that you're not inviting disaster into your spiritual life where you get you fall asleep. So what does that mean? What does it mean to live with watchfulness? Well, these verses in their context already are set up to help us a lot with this. And um, it says in verses 40 to 41, when it, when I, that little piece that I was just singing about, uh, that both people that are pictured are, are living they're side by side, living their simple lives, going about their regular business. And they looked the same in their actions on the outside, but something was different about their hearts. That's why one was taken and one was left. And so watchfulness does not mean pausing our lives and hiding out. It's about how we go about doing the things that are in front of us to do. Our work, our families, how we deal with our time and how we deal with our finances, how we, how we deal with our energy and our talents. It's, whatever, it's, it's the heart behind what we do with what we are given to do each day. And you'll notice if you keep going in your, in your, uh, in your Bible here that this, uh, this part that I read is followed by a parable about a faithful and wise servant versus a wicked servant. And that first servant took care of things um, as though the master could return at any time. But the second servant mismanaged his life and the lives of his employees, thinking the master wouldn't return for a very, very long time. He was incorrect and he was punished for it. That's what comes right after what I just read. And then those verses are followed by the parable of the ten virgins, the parable of the bags of gold in Matthew 25. You can read those later. But the theme is the same. Live today as though Jesus is going to return today. Look at your work and your family and your relationships, your money, your time, all of it. Look at all of it through the lens. That's what being watchful means. And Peter, who we, we were reading his, his letter to that church in, the churches in Asia Minor, he was a disciple of Jesus, you may remember. Jesus heard, Peter heard Jesus teaching these parables. He was there when Jesus was saying, be watchful and be ready. And so he takes this teaching and he reminds the churches of these very things that Jesus said. And he says in verse 11 of, of what we read earlier, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless and blameless and at peace with him. So, for us today, while you are waiting, whatever you're waiting for in your immediate circumstance right now, I don't know what it is. I mean, across this room and off campus, I mean, we could probably name a thousand things that we are waiting for and longing for and needing in our lives. And certainly, church, for all of us, as we wait for the return of Christ, as we look for it, as we understand that it is a certainty, this is how we are called to live, watchful, actively watchful, with the perspective that everything we do is managing and stewarding for Christ until he comes, and we are ready to meet him face to face. It's not a strategy. There's not a slogan to this. There's nothing you're supposed to do. There's not a checklist for you. While you're waiting and while we long to see Christ face to face, accept to continue to do the things that you've been called to do.
So I want you to ask yourself this morning, is there any part of your life where you're, where you're waiting for something? Is there any part of your life where you've maybe given up hope that anything is going to change? Maybe you just need to be reminded in your spirit this morning that this is, was the point of this whole series, that Jesus is coming. That there is a day that you are going to see him face to face. And I wonder if you could match that truth up with whatever is going on in your life, if it could change the perspective. The Lord's patience means salvation. He's not waiting to torture us. He's using the time that he's given us to do something with for him, to manage everything he's given us well. And so... Here's how I do this in my everyday life. Uh, it's not really a checklist so much as a flow chart, sort of like a circular flow chart. I don't know if this helps you, but especially if you're new to the faith and you're wondering how this all works, let me just offer this to you as I close. How do I stay watchful? How do I stay with the perspective that everything going on in my life um, is under the control of the Lord, can be prayed about, can be, God can be trusted with, and that this is not all there is. How do I stay in that space? Well, first of all, I don't do it perfectly every day. Let's just be real, real clear about that. But this is what, this is, this is, the, this is the, the really simple way to do that, especially if you're new to the faith and, and you're trying to figure all this out. The first thing I would do every morning, I do every morning, is in my prayer time, I ask for forgiveness. I just say, Lord, show me the things that don't please you. I want to remove those things so that I'm not confused by, you know, what's of the world and what's of the spirit. And, and like, I want, to, I want to live in a way that honors you. And so can you show me those things? And I'll just quietly listen. I don't always like the answer to that. <laughs> my attitudes and my actions, whatever it is. And ask forgiveness because every day he's, if we confess our sins, First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So that's, a, that's the first step every day. You can just always go to him and say, what is it in my life that you would like to point out because I'm listening to you? It's just starting from a place of humility. And the second thing is a big thing, but to, to, to live out every day, just to live out the things that Christ commanded. If you want to know what Christ commanded, we actually have resources. We have a whole course called The Commands of Christ. Like, what did Jesus actually teach us to do? What was the example of Christ? What are the things he asked us to do? What are the, what are the ways that we want to live out our lives? What things can we work on every single day? And what, what things do we actually do in our lives that please the Lord? Not just the things that we do that we need to ask forgiveness for, but what are the, what are the things that are in front of me today that would please the Lord? And I pray that in the morning, like, God, this day is yours. And I am, I'm really tempted to just go about my day doing the things that I know that I need to do. But I know that's not all there is. So help me to see the things that you have commanded me to do above everything else. Help my attitudes to reflect you. Help my words to be reflective of you in every way. Of course, the third little piece of this is that you pray for the Holy Spirit's help to do the second thing <laughs> all the time. Just asking the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've been learning this over the years and how helpful it is to be like many times a day. You get an email. You get a phone call. You're in a conversation. Uh, something happens. Uh, you're in line. You're, if you go to the mall this week, like pray for the Holy Spirit to help you, church, to be a light. Pastor Ethan prayed that we could be a light in this community. We need the Holy Spirit to help us in every moment, in every situation, and then literally repeat every day. We just come humbly to him. We ask for his direction to help 
uh, to, to walk out the commands of Christ and we ask the Holy Spirit to help us. And that's, like, that's the simple transaction if that's new to you. Here, if you've been in the faith a long time, you probably know these things. But as a reminder, every day, if that's where you start, you keep your perspective on the fact that even in your waiting, whatever your circumstance, whatever your trouble, whatever your, whatever your situation, even as you wait in this, you can long for and look for the coming of Christ because in every kind of waiting, he is always, always faithful. Amen? Let's stand and commit that to the Lord together. Lord, we open our hands this morning together. We open our hearts to the voice of the Spirit. And we consider the things that are heavy on our hearts. We consider the things that we are waiting for. So many of us are praying prayers that seem like we've been praying forever and there's just no answer to it. So many of us are waiting for a provision. So many, many of us are waiting to, uh, to be set free from something in our lives or some of us are waiting for a healing and we've been praying forever, whatever, whatever it is. So there's just a lot of waiting in the here and now. And we also look Lord, in, into, the, into your second coming. And it's, it's hard for us to keep our perspective on that future. There's just been so many thousands of years of waiting and it's hard for us to understand uh, why you are delaying when we look around the world and we know how much it needs to be made new. But we draw our attention and our hearts to the truth of the matter, which is that your kindness leads to salvation that your patience draws people to you and that every day you have given us things to do so that we could be watchful and waiting and looking for you to keep our hearts alert and vigilant so that we can be ready to see you face to face, hearts humble, forgiveness received, lives made new, ready to see you and in the meantime, be actively believing that you have everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of you. So we take all of the waiting, we take the weight, we take the heaviness, and we invite you into it in this fourth Sunday of Advent. We ask you to change our perspective on anything that needs to be changed. We just invite you to show it to us so that we can switch our thinking. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to help us to live out the commands of Christ daily so that we would be known as those who are watchful and living in a way that pleases you. And we ask that everything that is done in this season would, in our lives and through us, would be so pleasing to you. Give us the opportunity, as we've been praying this morning, to be a light in the world around us, to be those who are so focused on, on what is coming and so... Um, just so sure of the future that we're able to walk through every heaviness of this season with hope and light and joy, regardless of the circumstance. So we give you our waiting, we give you our longing, and we believe with all of our hearts, Jesus, we're gonna see you face to face, and we ask you would help us to keep that truth in front of us each day. And we thank you for it with all of our hearts. And the church said, amen, amen.